Welcome to From the Booth, the podcast where we talk about the film screening at BYU's International Cinema. This is our third podcast of the fall semester 2021. I'm Chip Oscarson, former co-director of International Cinema, and I'm joined today by my good friend George Hanley, who's been on the podcast many times before. He's a professor of interdisciplinary humanities. Welcome, George. Thanks, Chip. Uh, today we're going to be talking about the film Minari, uh, which is a film from 2020 directed by Lee Isaac Chung, who incidentally is a graduate of the University of Utah. And this is an interesting film in that it is a film that hit right as COVID was hitting. So it premiered at Sundance in 2020, but really didn't get released until late 2020 in time to be considered for some of the awards from 2020. But it's uh, really just making the, the rounds now. Got a limited theatrical release, but mainly it was released digitally. Some background on this film that might help inform our discussion today. It's an American drama film, as I said, written by uh, Lee Isaac Chung, who grew up here in the United States, although he's of Korean descent. Uh, It premiered at Sundance, where it won the U.S. Dramatic Grand Jury Prize, as well as the U.S. Dramatic Audience Award. Uh, It earned lots of other kinds of nominations, lots of Academy Award nominations. The only one that it won was Best Supporting Actress for the woman who plays the grandmother, who's a well-known Korean actress. Interestingly, it was nominated in the Golden Globes foreign film category, and I want to come back to this a little bit in our discussion, uh, because in what ways is this a foreign film? It's a foreign language film in some ways, but is is this not an American film? George, why don't you uh, start off? What were some of your initial impressions about the film? What was the what was your your big takeaway? And then we can kind of get more detailed. Well, I think it was certainly an amplification of the American story. You know, I think it is significant that we think about it and consider it an American film because of the way that that then amplifies our appreciation for the diversity of American experiences and for the ways in which different languages and different cultures form the rock bed of of American culture. But uh, unfortunately, for a variety of reasons, the many languages spoken on the soils of this country and in various communities across it um, don't get seen. They're they're sort of less visible and and that's been a fact of our history for as as long as we've been a country actually and there have been periods in our history where other languages other than English were predominant like German and so there you know and there certainly is a rich tradition in my area of, of Spanish language uh, literature of literature written and other films are a little less obviously inexistent before uh, the invention of film but but in in early American literary history and all up to this day there's lots of literature written in Spanish yeah. on American soil by American writers so it's uh, it's an interesting challenge because it takes up a lot of patterns and tropes in, in American culture, but sees it through the lens of this, um, this Korean-American family and their journey, you know, to try to find their place in this society. Well, their American dream, in, I mean, yeah. in so many ways, yeah. right? It's about trying to, to establish yourself. And I mean, we, we recognize that. And the fact that it's a, you know, a immigrant family is, even that's not particularly unique. Interestingly, it was not until 2019 that we had the first Oscar for the best film went to a foreign language film with Parasite and right. a Korean film as well, of course. You know, the director talked about the, you know, the two-foot barrier that you're know, reading the subtitles at the bottom of the screen. We seem to be somewhat allergic to that uh, here in the United States. But I think you I think you make a really good point. 
Now, the, the director talked about one of the original inspirations, not for the film exactly, but for the project that he was going to work on that eventually became the film, I guess we could say, was an adaptation of Willa Cather's My Antonia, which is about immigration to the United States, specifically yeah. to the Midwest. With that in mind, I mean, I don't think the film is an adaptation of that book per se, but does that color at all how you read the film? Yeah, I, I did see it. Uh, I mean, I didn't I didn't know that when I watched the film. I read that afterwards. My Antonia is one of my, you know, all-time favorite novels. And it certainly... I mean, as I watched it, I certainly thought, oh, this this feels like a 19th century pioneer experience that we more typically associate with American culture. Yeah, as you mentioned, it, you know, it's an immigrant family pursuing... Go, um, going east instead of going west, yeah, interestingly, right. right? There's kind of a reversal yeah. of certain and things. And going, in, in, in some sense, going back in time, right? There's a That's sort right. of... Uh, Moving from the industrial uh, agricultural economy yeah. to yeah. to something else. Right? Yeah, and they're having to sort of undergo a lot of the kinds of struggles and suffering that we associate with people who are striving to survive on the basis of the land, right? And the issue of water being so central to the story. So it was pretty fascinating to me to sort of think about the fact that there are these odd overlays of of chronology in American experience yeah. like you can you can look across the landscape of America today and you can see 19th century American experiences or early 20th century American experiences even at the same time as you can see you know 2021 right yeah. because of access to technology or access to education access to health care I mean that's a big issue in this film too right the boy needs to be closer to a hospital and and you know they maybe have removed at least from the mother's point of view they removed themselves too far from civilization so they've sort of had yeah. to go back to a time when they have to rely more on their own instincts and that raises all of the classic tropes of the father being perhaps too full of hubris about his own ability to sort of do this first of all without having to pay for water and yeah. uh, coming around to accepting the possibility that there might be something to this magic that he rejects outright at the beginning of the film about yeah. about divining you know for water well and again i i love the the transposition of this you know we when we think of of our pioneer immigrants you know that yeah and even uh, willa cather is, is thinking in terms of you know the germans the you know the english the you know the scandinavians and these of these groups, of course, have been assimilated into the mainstream, you know, very much so. I mean, even the Irish and the Italians, you know, that that were, you know, stood outside of, of what was considered mainstream American culture for a long time, have been assimilated into kind of whiteness or however you want to, you know, define that. And so I, I love, again, that we're, we're forced to engage the foreignness of the American experience. And I think there's a way that we forget that the, you know, the, this experiment of multiculturalism is really ongoing. I say we, speaking as a white, <laughs> you know, as a white person of Scandinavian heritage that, you know, I, I think of, of that assimilation as something happening in the past, but it's something, of course, that's happening all the time around us. You know, people from all kinds of different cultures as they 
as they come here. Now, yeah, that's that's kind of what I think of as almost a like a, a kind of chronological bias, right? That there, oh, that story already happened, yeah, because it already happened in my family history, yeah. 150 years ago. So why is somebody else going through that now? I mean, I think that's an astute. Point. And I do think the the American um, mainstream identity that we typically assume is the American story is in fact ignorant of these these layers and these yeah. varieties of the story. And so that's what I love about the film is that it just kind of interjects this different way to think about the American story. And it forces a non-Korean speaker, right, to have to just enter this unfamiliar world in which you're just kind of hanging on, oh, wait, they just said something in English. I don't have yeah. to look at the subtitles. <laughs> you know? yeah. uh, I think I thought that was fascinating. You yeah. know? It's like, oh, they're, they're more capable of speaking English than, than you realize at the beginning. Anyway, I think that's... I, I want to pick up a thread that, you know, something you threw out just a second ago, the, the father's rationality, right, that he he's going to use his head and kind of figure out where to find the water. He's not going to, you know, this water, you know, uh, reaching this, he's not going to, to go for that. Of course, he, he comes up short. There's maybe a parallel, too, with the religious experience, right? The kind of seeking for a religious community and the kind of the role of that. And you have this really quirky character, Paul, <laughs> who is, you know, you're not quite sure what to what to make of him if he's just completely nuts or if there's yeah. something to, yeah. to him. What, what do you make of that um, willingness to kind of reimagine, you know, the place for for this experience, uh, for, you know, it's not a move from uh, religiosity to secularism, but maybe a, a movement in the other direction somehow? Well, it's, uh, yeah, that's, uh, I've, I've been trying to wrestle with that. I think the story, right, they're, they're seeking assimilation in some senses, in other ways they're not, right? Mm -hmm. they're, they're obviously not interested. They move to a rural area for a certain kind of independence, apparently, mm -hmm. right? And yet th there's that moment where they sort of realize, well, maybe we need a church community, maybe we need some sort of connection. It's yeah. interesting, water becomes something that connects them that comes at a price, right? right. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, so I think that's pretty fascinating that they're, and, and, you know, they're trying to find their sense of place, their sense of belonging in the land, but there's this overlay of the sense of belonging and sense of place that's also cultural, right? Yeah. And, and would involve relationships with other people. And so that's that's part of the, you know, struggle of a lot of immigrant literature and film, right, is, is portraying that transition and whether or not that involves an, uh, sort of a turning away from one's roots or whether it involves a kind of adaptation of one's roots. And I think in this case, you know, you certainly, you certainly get the Minari, you know, maybe we need to talk about Minari, but I mean, you know, the idea of planting those seeds which come from Korea obviously is sort of a very overt notion of transplantation, not only in terms of literal plants, but, but of their culture and of their sense of belonging and their sense of identity. Right? Yeah. And so there's this, the hope I think that the film seems to be expressing is that there is a kind of Korean way of being American and there's a, a, a Korean way of belonging in this multicultural setting um, and belonging in the land. I think that 
for me, that was also very moving about the film. Yeah, I, I like that it's um, that the place that they're trying to transplant to, uh, you know, Arkansas is not a, a place that I think a lot of us typically think of as a multicultural hub. Right. Uh, I, I'm sure it, I'm sure it's more diverse than I can imagine. You know, I, I lived for a time in southern Missouri growing up and. You know, so I should I should have more of an imagination this way, I suppose. But we don't associate it with that. And there's been a, a kind of a strong uh, resurgence of discourses about heritage and usually kind of coded within this. There's this idea of this, that there's somehow this uniform American heritage that is being compromised by uh, by multiculturalism. So by putting it in a place like Arkansas, where I think that discourse is a little bit more prominent these days, I think is a is a really important observation and insight. What you've written a lot on this subject, George, uh, you have a, a really great book of essays, uh, Homewaters, dealing with a sense of place, particularly here in Utah. And what do you make of of the struggle to become emplaced, right? That this idea, is it is it possible for us to to ever become native to a place if we're not born in a place, if we're not from that place? And and how do you think this film comes down on that question? Well, again, I think the the uh, every scene that has to do with Minari is super significant. You know, the father thinks he's pursuing the Garden of Eden. He's pursuing the American dream that the it's going to be the cultivation of plants for economic survival. And it's a very, um, how, how do you put it? It's a very, I mean, cultivated is right. You know, yeah. it's the tractor, it's right. the it's the control, it's the rationalization right. of, of that project as opposed to she the goes and spreads, spreads seeds. The seeds and, <laughs> and, you know, at the end you see him harvesting, right? And, yeah. But it's a kind of gentler yeah. uh, interaction with a kind of wild ecology that, ecology, of course, that, that has an in, uh, you know, a, a non-native species. I don't know if Minari qualifies as uh, invasive or not. Invasive or not? I hope it doesn't. I mean, but, it would be interesting because it would yeah. put another twist on that. Would, on yeah. that, it that I don't. Film, it actually. would ruin the film. I don't think that's what the film's <laughs> if going this for. This was kudzu, which is like a, a, I believe, also of Asian uh, origin. That's yeah. the that's the invasive plant that's ruining most of the American South right now. Right. Yeah, that would be. <laughs> That would that would only play into the sort of right. anti-immigrant notion that like uh, the other people are invading a space that yeah. is to be left alone and protected, and so yeah, a sense of place very easily becomes a kind of territorialism. It becomes very protectionist in its nativist uh, too, right? nativist, mm-hmm. and so it ends up sort of playing that game of how long have you been here and do you belong here and this is the real version of, you know, what it means to be from Provo or what it means to be from Utah or what it means to be from wherever else in the country. And uh, yeah, those are, I think, you know, I, I take the idea that the, what is America is fundamentally an immigrant story, although I don't say even that to exclude Native indigenous experiences in the United States, which is sometimes even a problem with thinking about immigrant stories as the defining arc of what it means to be an American. So I think we always have to be careful about not using a connection to a place and the celebration of that place as an excuse for a kind of xenophobia or a kind of territorial protection that is harmful to the the human ecology to the social ecology and probably also to the actual ecology yeah. right 
I mean, I think the story doesn't put a lot of emphasis, almost none at all, on any sort of the, the racism or the xenophobia that they themselves are subject to. I thought the film was kind of gentle on it that was, point. It was, yeah. And, and more harsh on the father. Like, he's... But I love that theme. Like, that's a big theme in literature. It's yeah. a, you know, that he's got this sort of overly rational, as you were describing it, and mechanical and capitalistic notion of what it means to sort of succeed. And he's got to listen to his wife and his mother-in-law more carefully. So he has to go through his own yeah. humiliations in order to sort of figure that out. I think that was... Yeah. I love that about it. Yeah. Well, well, it is. I mean, I think one of the things that makes this film for me, and I, and I think this is one of the best films I've seen, you know, in the last couple of years agreed is the relationships that you have this complex relationship between a husband and wife between grandson and grandmother between grandmother and and son-in-law and daughter mm-hmm. and it's shifting it's shifting the whole time in these with these so you talk about a kind of a human ecology you can talk about this on a sociological plane and I think you're right I think that tends to be downplayed it's that's that's not foregrounded in this film but what really comes into relief is the the interactions the way that each of these positions relates to each other that that's what I thought was so masterfully done yeah. in this and kind of the, you know the way that it plays out yeah and you kind of have this feeling at the end of the film you know with the rescue of the grandmother by the the young boy David and and then with the father uh, harvesting the Minari at the end with the son, you sort of think, okay, well, the grandmother's fading in the story, obviously, but but now there's a kind of recalibration in the father's mind and in his relationship to his place, to his son, that now incorporates those elements of his mother-in-law and of his Korean background that he maybe had been sort of not attentive to. And I mean, you know, I sort of romantically imagine that maybe he's going to have this wonderful opportunity to sell Minari to all the Korean restaurants that are going to be booming in Arkansas. <laughs> well, but, but there's <laughs> right? a shift away from the economic, though, which I think yeah. is key, right? That well, that's, it's yeah. an American success story, but the success is not economic, yeah. uh, not particularly economic. I mean, right. we hope that they're going to you know be able to make it, of course, but but it's the salvation of the family, right? That's the family is yeah. brought together, you know, by this cataclysmic event, you know, at the end, and that that's what, you know, that's what saved. And of course, that's what the film is ultimately about. And I, I really like that about the film too, that I think too often we, you know, the American success story is in, you know, is a story of, you know, kind of capitalism and, you know, economic success, material wealth, you know, as if that's the, the standard, you know, by which we evaluate the quality of life. But of course, I, I don't think that if any of us were cornered on the issue that any of us would really believe that, even though we talk that way right. a lot of times. Yeah, and and I love that it was, you know, not... It very well could have been just as brilliant of a film if it were more directly about sort of prejudice that they encountered and the obstacles that, that they had to overcome and, that you know, maybe the burning of the house. You know, Frederick Douglass's home was burned by yeah. by racists, and that's not in his uh, slave autobiography, but it was later in his life when that happened happened you know so you could imagine a story in which they're confronting uh, different kinds of social obstacles I just think it's fascinating that the filmmaker just decided uh, this is this is going to be about sort of wrestling with nature you yeah. know this sort of primal struggle that human culture has always had and like I say this may be in some people's mind uh, a struggle that we sort of got over but but of course in our current environmental problems that simply can't be 
said anymore that yeah. we've somehow conquered nature. Uh, it's still fighting back. And, yeah. and so I, I love the idea that there, you know, this is a story that where the environmental situation kind of bites them in the end. The yeah. fire is, it's tragic in that it's accidental. It's not a, a purposeful, but it's also sort of destroying his hubris in a way that heals the heals the breach between the husband and wife yeah. and, and between the father and the son. I think. Well, and this is foreshadowed, I think, in a really interesting way in this conversation that he, he has with his son where he um, they're outside the um, the chicken farm the where they're sexing the you know the chickens and there's that smokestack you know and and he makes this comment that you know that the males are expendable right and and there's something kind of foreboding about is this is this the fear that that they as immigrants are expendable can be burned up you know kind of in, mm -hmm. in this is it is it about maleness and i and i like what you're saying here about that the fire at the end is his hubris being burned away i think that sense that 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 attitude that he has through much of the film is a danger you know it's kind yeah. of signaled as a, as a danger right away and and the film itself something i noticed in re-watching the film i guess i hadn't caught the first time through is how much of the film is focalized through david the way the film is shot is often at the level of a young child, uh, where you're you're looking up almost always, right? And and so many ways, it's David's experience. There's something nostalgic about it, right? That we're back in the '80s, and there is something autobiographical about this film. And the and the director is, is drawing on his own experiences, although I don't think it's a straight autobiography. That makes it kind of very personal, and maybe is is where some of these great relationships and, and characters begin to come from is because they're they're grounded in real people yeah yeah well thanks george and thanks to you for joining us today on from the booth our podcast is produced by the international cinema program at byu and supported by the byu college of humanities we're solely responsible for the opinions and ideas expressed here as they don't necessarily represent any official position adopted by the university or its supporting institutions as always we thank our producer devin glenn and our sound engineer marina hegstrom pratt we would also like to acknowledge the musical talents of Johnny Stallings, who wrote and recorded music for the podcast. George, this has been great talking with you. Oh, thanks. Jim. We'll do it again sometime. I hope so. All right. Until next time, see you in the Kimball Tower.